You could say that Thich Nhat Hanh saved my life. He's not the only one. My life is saved nearly daily by my wife, my daughter, my friends, clergy colleagues, members of this congregation, Rachel Maddow. <laughs> but I was at a particularly low point in my life when I first encountered the teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese Zen master and peace activist. In his book, Peace is Every Step, Thich Nhat Hanh writes, in my tradition, we use the temple bells to remind us to come back to the present moment. Every time we hear the bell, we stop talking, stop our thinking, and return to ourselves, breathing in and out and smiling. Whatever we are doing, we pause for a moment and just enjoy our breathing. Sometimes we also recite this verse, listen, listen, this wonderful sound brings me back to my true self. Thich Nhat Hanh says that anything can be a bell of mindfulness, a bird song, a traffic light, even a ringing phone. My deepest hope for our time together is that this worship, this religious community might be for each of us a bell of mindfulness calling us back to our true selves. What is our true self? The first principle of Unitarian Universalism affirms the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Every person. No exceptions. Our worth and dignity is inherent. It is unalienable. It has always been. It will always be. It cannot be forfeited by anything we do or fail to do. This first principle is our inheritance from our universalist ancestors who insisted that a loving God would never, could never, condemn to eternal torment God's own flawed creatures on account of the very flaws that God created. But to me, worth and dignity, precious though they be, are not enough. Worth and dignity are pale tropes for the unspeakable sanctity of the human soul. What are we? We are made of star stuff, astrophysicists remind us. We are of the same essence as galaxies and nebulas and dark matter and plasma, as old as time. 
but we forget who we are. I believe we are made of divinity, being of one substance with the divine heart of the universe. In Archbishop Desmond Tutu's compelling phrase, we are made for goodness, but we forget who we are. Early this month, I was the lone Unitarian Universalist among more than 30 Christians on retreat on the Isle of Iona off the coast of Scotland. Many of the young adults in our group came from evangelical backgrounds and had never encountered a real live Unitarian Universalist before. Once they realized I did not have horns, they drilled me with questions about my faith. What about Jesus, they asked. What do you believe about Jesus? I answered, I believe Jesus was the Son of God. And I am the Son of God. And you are the Son of God, or the daughter of God, or the child of God. Actually, many of them agreed with me. And, you know, if we're wrong about all this, how much better and more hopeful and empowering a way to live than to believe each of us is inherently depraved and we have to fight our whole lives against the sinfulness at our core rather than reclaiming the goodness that abides there, intact and holy, waiting for us. To remember. Margaret Fuller, one of the most brilliant thinkers of the 19th and probably of any century, said, May God keep you safe until the word of your life is fully spoken. Who speaks the word? of your life. Last February, I participated in a day-long retreat with the Reverend Dr. Mary Jane O'Connor Rupp, a retired Methodist elder. The retreat was titled, Claiming Our Belovedness. Dr. O'Connor Rupp led us in an exercise I'd like to share with you this morning. In the order of worship you received when you came in, you should have found a three-by-five card. If you didn't, just raise your hand and an usher will bring you one. And if you need something to write with, the ushers have pencils. And they will, they will give you one of those pencils if you need it. The ushers are on the case. So while you are being united with three by five cards and pencils, 
I invite you to take a moment to consider this question. What words or phrases shaped your self-understanding as a child? What words or phrases shaped your self-understanding as a child? If this question brings up feelings that are too painful for you to handle this morning, you don't need to do the exercise. Just breathe and know that here today you are safe and loved. But for those of you who can contemplate this question, it is this. What words or phrases shaped your self-understanding as a child? Write them down as they come to you on the three by five card, which we will not collect. It's yours to keep. Everyone have a card and something to write with. Okay. I will invite the bell while you reflect and write. What words or phrases shaped my self-understanding as a child? The words I wrote down were good, bad, temper, control, attractive, unattractive. But one of the most powerful shapers of my self-understanding was not a word at all. It was a sound. That's the sound of my father's sudden intake of breath, which spoke volumes of anxiety, fear, and judgment. It's the sound he would make if I tipped over a, a glass of milk as a child, or when I was older and driving the car and he thought something hazardous was happening or about to happen. When I heard that sound, it wasn't good. And I heard it a lot. Three years ago, the night after my father died, I woke in the darkness and walked through the house. Something felt very different, and at first I couldn't identify what it was. Then I realized that now that my father was dead, for the first time ever in his house, I was no longer afraid of his anger. However much I had loved him and I loved my father dearly, I had always, always feared him. Naturally, the angry, judgmental God I grew up with bore an uncanny resemblance to my father. The 1928 Book of Common Prayer, still in use in the church of my upbringing, didn't help. We are not worthy, we recited, 
Sunday after Sunday, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. These were the words I heard as a child. They were not the word of my life. And so I ask you a second question Dr. O'Connor Ropp asked us. Who has spoken or continues to speak the word of your life? And what is that word? Some of you may wish to phrase the question, who does God say you are? Who has spoken or continues to speak the word of your life? And what is that word? Or who does God say you are? And I invite you to write your answers on your three-by-five card. How can we erase the hurtful words spoken by others and chiseled on our hearts? We can't. But the rain, wind, and sun of life can erode them and soften their edges. Moss grows and eventually a tree splits the rock as it inexorably seeks the sun. The old words are still there, but now there is so much more as well. Old words have power, but so do new words. Let us compose them, sing them, listen to them, inscribe them on our hearts. One of my fondest memories of childhood is of sledding in wintertime. I remember so vividly the crunch of the snow under my boots, the warm steam of my breath exhaled into the frozen air, the innocent, earnest, sweet joy of trudging up the hill for the next giddy, reckless descent. It was so simple, up the hill, down the hill, up the hill, down the hill. No success, no failure, no competition. If I fell off the sled, I got back on. Maybe in those heedless, timeless hours of sledding, 
I knew I was okay. Maybe I knew I was beloved. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Only now, only when Jesus knows he is beloved. Can Jesus endure 40 days of privation and temptation in the wilderness? Only when he knows he is beloved can he embark on the brief, subversive, powerful ministry that costs his life and changes the world. May God keep you safe until the word of your life is fully spoken. Who speaks the word of your life? What is that word? Who does God say you are? <laughs>